This podcast is brought to you by Peaked Sports, your full-service ski shop, featuring alpine, cross-country, snowboard, and snowbike rentals, as well as boot fitting, ski tunes, and ski repairs. Open every day from 8.30 a.m. to 6 p.m. 70 East, Little Avenue and Driggs. And by Three Rivers Ranch Outfitters, offering winter trip planning services and selling gear from Patagonia, Orvis, Hatch, Rio, Sims, and more, located just east of the corner of Ski Hill Road and Highway 33 in Driggs. Astoria, Oregon. I don't know if I'm the only one who thinks that when you set out looking for the big answers in life, you got to be as uncomfortable as possible when you do it. Seems like, to me, if you're going to have any sort of grand epiphany, it's not going to come while you're sipping mimosas at the Four Seasons or getting a hot stone massage or something. I stood staring at the newspaper box in front of the Columbia River Coffee Roaster in Astoria, Oregon, under a clearing sky, reading the October 11th Daily Astorian headline, Protesters Occupy Seaside. That was happening, the Occupy movement. That was now, the time in American history. People remember where they were when Kennedy was assassinated or on 9-11. During the Occupy movement, I was living nowhere. The previous night had been particularly glamorous. Raindrops slapped the roof of the station wagon as I tried to sleep in it on the Washington side of the four-mile-long concrete-and-steel Astoria-Megler Bridge. My body wedged into a Z-shape on the darker side of the car where a tree partially blocked the light from the street lamp, trying to ignore the winds rocking the car every few minutes. The humidity was high inside the car, all the windows fogged with seven hours of restless breath. At 7.30 a.m., I grabbed my toothbrush off the dashboard, stood at the shore with the seagulls for a minute, and scattered a mist of toothpaste spit into the air. I grabbed a half-full water bottle, rinsed my toothbrush, and walked over to the restroom, nodding hello to the guy emptying the trash cans. I had a conference call for my job at 9 a.m. October 10th marked 10 weeks of living in my car since the start of my trip, sleeping in a new place every night, finding wireless internet in coffee shops, libraries, the occasional McDonald's. In less than two and a half months, I had slept in 33 different places. Colorado, Wyoming, Idaho, Utah, Montana, Washington, Oregon, California. This would go on for more year, although I didn't know it at the time. I had left Denver on the last day of July, exactly a month after we broke up. I gave up on marrying her, and we split up our stuff, moved out of our apartment, gave the keys back, and I thought I'd get in some good thinking time out on the road. I'd figure out what was next for me, and when I did, it would be beautiful, heroic, with majestic theme music playing in the background as I drove into another sunset. When your life plan explodes, you ask yourself big questions. Is there someone for me? Do I even need someone? Do I want a family? Would buying a house, putting down some roots make me happy? You want a clear answer, and maybe the answer doesn't come all at once, but over several experiences. A dozen conversations, a few thousand miles, a glimpse into a few dozen lives. The ocean, the mountains, the stillness that comes with a couple hours of driving, the unease of not knowing where you're going to sleep each night. I knew the hip Generation Y thing to do would have been to get on a plane, go to Europe, India, somewhere more exotic. But my American dream had dissolved in the middle of a country recovering from a meltdown, caused by a mass pursuit of houses with picket fences, and I didn't want to run from it. I wanted to run to it. To me, there was nothing more American than hopping in my car and taking off to drive out west, hoping something big, something life-altering, something that would make sense of my life would happen. It did. (laughs) 
That was Brendan Leonard reading from his book, The New American Road Trip Mixtape. Those are the first two pages. He also writes one of, if not my favorite outdoor blog, Semi-Rad. You are, of course, listening to Get Out the Podcast from the Teton Valley News. I'm Scott Stunts. Today, I talked to Brendan about writing his new book. I wanted him on because I think a lot of us out here in the Valley, the transplants anyway, have all had that urge at one time or another to say, screw it and jump in your car and just keep driving. Well, that's what Brendan did. If you didn't catch it in that reading, he moved into his car after a breakup. Uh, What you didn't hear is that relationship actually came after his first divorce. He's also from the same part of Iowa as me, so I thought that was cool. Oh, and I talked to him over Skype, so if the audio gets a little funky, that's why. Here we go. What became the New American Road Trip mixtape? You know, start like when did you really start writing this book? Oh, I was like doing it while I was driving around. You know, I started a, like a five-week road trip, and I was sitting in in my car in Jackson. Like I was at Pearl Street Bagels working, and it was my first week back at work, my first few days, and I was writing copy for a, a very large company. You know, a marketing copy, and you know, type of thing where you're like, there's people working in offices all around the world, and I'm like, okay, I'm this guy sitting in my car, and I haven't showered in nine days, and. I had to take a conference call and I just went out to my car to do it because it was really loud in Pearl Street Bagels, of course, because it's super busy there. And took the call and whoever else I was talking to, I was kind of imagining them in their office or wherever they were. Like, and uh, I was sitting there. I'm like, they have no idea that I'm like this dirty and where I am and you know in my piece of shit car. And like, and we hung up and I was like, well, this is no different than being in my kitchen, you know, working. They don't know I could get away with this. So, you know maybe I'll just keep doing this thing. So after that, I I was really kind of taking notes as I went, like I'd be driving and, you know, feel like I had this little epiphany. So I'd like grab a receipt or something out of the pockets on the side of my doors and stuff. And I'd be writing literally on the steering wheel, little notes to myself, like, Oh yeah, you got to do this later and write this down later and flush this piece out. And I still have this big envelope full of these pieces of paper in my van, but I would like pull this thing out. Like, I would pull out all these scraps of paper when I'd be sitting in a coffee shop and kind of finish up my other work for the day. And I'd basically clock out and be like, okay, I'm going to try to write this part today. You know, I'm going to take an hour and do this like little scene that I have in my head or, or this little essay, you know, and get that out. And so over three months, like I think my friend Greg is chapter 11 or 12. I wrote like the whole thing about him and we were sitting I wrote it when we were in Zion. Um, I was sitting in a coffee shop, and he went for a hike, and we were, like had a campfire that night. And I was like, "Yeah, you should read this. Let me know if I got everything right." And he's like, "Okay." Read it off my computer, and he's like, "Yeah, but I'm, you know, corrected a couple little age things or whatever." And so, was, I mean, by and large, the first draft was done by the time I was like three months into the road trip, and I changed the ending a couple times. But I guess as I was doing it, I was like, "This is a. This might be." sort of a book type thing, you know, like I got like 65,000 words here. And of course I ended up cutting a ton of it, but that was, you know, it's like, yeah, something's kind of happening here. I think. Cool. Cause that was, you know, one of my thoughts was sometimes it's hard to have, you know, be having the experience that you've had in the book. You're like, you know, it's, it's hard to start writing it while you're having it. Yeah. And was that, you know, was that part of the editing process because emotionally you're like you saw your experiences in different light after you, you know, after they went by a little bit? Well, um, yeah, my um my my girlfriend edited it three times. So 
that got stuff got chopped and I edited it myself, like definitely went over it three, three or four times. Just like, uh, this sounds dumb. And like, I have other friends read it and they're like, I didn't like this part. I'm like, okay, good. I'm chopping that. That's good. We're done. You know? And yeah, it, it got, it's pretty raw when it comes out and you're like, okay, you're not this much of an emotional wreck. You know, it's like a breakup and like essentially it was fairly, fairly over it a couple months into the trip, but you're still like, you want to communicate how you're like still having these doubts and like, yeah, I mean, you're not going to be an emotional wreck for six months. Well, maybe you are, but like, I wasn't like, okay. <laughs> and so that, that's a tough part too. You're like, well, I mean, by the time you're, gosh, it was a couple of, like a year and a half over this relationship by the time I was writing it or like putting this into like book form. And I'm like, no, it was longer than that. Almost two years, you know, where you're reading like the final draft and you're like, you know, I'm really happy right now. I can't believe I was this broken up about this. But at the time you have to be like, well, this is what I was going through right then. So it's a true story, you know. Is it kind of awkward to have your current girlfriend help you edit a book about a breakup? Uh, no. I mean, she's she's been there before, so I don't think so. I mean, I don't think it was. I don't think she's... No, I don't know. I guess it, mainly I was thinking it's like, because you, you go into some of the parts that, you know, maybe what caused a breakup, you know? Oh, yeah. Yeah, I mean, I think I think she's understanding of it, so yeah. it's not... Well, I yeah, guess it wasn't all of your cards on the table as far as what you want in a relationship, especially since you put a list of... <laughs> Was it, I like the list that you made of what your future girlfriend should have. Yeah. Does does your current girlfriend have? Is she okay with with the list? Yeah, she's she's pretty perfect. I you know, I just tell her I didn't really think you were going to be blonde when I met you. I, I thought you were going to be a brunette, but this is this is great. Oh, I'm going to go with this. You know. So no, she's yeah, absolutely. So are you still living in the super? I guess I haven't finished the story does the subaru die yeah i don't want to ruin the ending for yeah, you yeah i was the, gonna say i the guy I, the guy so, doesn't die okay so, it's, so um, are you in a van now yeah i i finished I, I went i drove back to denver after i was gone for like six months and i was like you know i mean for i was living in my car for six months i was kind of over it I'm like i'm getting a van i'm gonna get a van so um like seven months after i started that trip i just dumped my life savings into a 2005 Chevy Astro van, which is, I don't know if that's a good move. I wouldn't recommend it for anybody else, but it was like, it was, it's cool. It's, I've been driving it since then. And I think I've put like 50,000 miles on it in basically two years. And, uh, my girlfriend and I live in there now and it's, it's okay. I mean, it's way better than a car obviously, but it's just kind of a, basically a truck with a bed in the back with all our gear in it you know so and we've talked about getting something different or a little bigger or something like that but it really is kind of ideal the all-wheel drive really falls apart very quickly so i have to have a ton of work done on the front front end a lot um but other than that it's really no complaints the engine is bomber and it's kind of this the biggest minivan you can buy i guess and still think it's a minivan but it's you know it's enough for two people with climbing gear basically camping gear because you're living out of it and then two mountain bikes on the back and you know it's working for us so so how long do you think you know because you had that epiphany of back then like the pearl street thing where you're saying like man i could do this for a while mm-hmm. how how long can you see yourself living in living in the van 
it's that's a good question. I mean, like we, I say like I've like have had the conversation with my girlfriend. Like, if one of us mentions getting an apartment more than three times in a week, we're we're quitting this. We're gonna go get an apartment somewhere. And it, you know, it has like it, you know, it's not the most awesome thing in the world. A lot of the time, you know, you're essentially homeless, looking for a place to stay every night, and like sometimes it's like you don't sleep too well, and you go. I mean, I was like, I'm probably not going to get a hundred showers in this year, you know, which is like, you know, I'm not, I'm not that good at the climbing aspect of being a dirt bag, but I am good at the dirt bag aspect of being a dirt bag, you know, like I am not clean. So, but you get tired of that stuff and you start thinking about, Oh, wouldn't it be cool if we had this and this and this and like, but we were, you know, we spend, I think we were in Springdale, Utah, like five or six times last year, just because we happened to be passing through on the way to do things. Or, and it's like we're gonna miss being able to be in Zion in six hours or eight hours or whatever if we do get a place and you know aren't able to do that anymore. But uh, I don't know. It's it's a big, big decision to just stop. And you know, you're like, well, am I getting new stories? Am I having new experiences? Is this what I want to do? And you know, one of the things I want to do this year is just project a sport climb, you know, but we have to be in one place long enough to like go back to the same climb like five or six times, ideally. And, you know, I was like, that was, that was my goal this year. Like, okay, so how are we going to make that happen? And it may not happen, which is not a big deal, you know, like that's not like the worst problem to have, but you just don't, you're not anywhere long enough. So, but yeah, I mean, as far as I know, it's, it just keeps getting pushed off because, Oh, we're gonna be in this place for two weeks. Why would we pay rent somewhere for a month? Like, it just doesn't make sense. And like, at this stage, I'm not even sure we could afford to have an apartment. I mean, like, <laughs> I told somebody the other day, I was like, I, we run a very successful five figure business. You know, it's it's not that big of a deal. Maybe maybe if I start selling a bajillion books, you know. But it's uh, yeah, it's it's funny. It's like it's a shoestring business, you know, and we're having fun. And like the whole point of it is to stay traveling and be able to keep up relationships and hang out with people we know all over the West and do different things. And like when that stops being the most important thing, maybe you'll stop. I don't know, you know. Um, but it's it's still fun. So no danger of of stopping anytime. Probably not in 2014, so. Thank you so much to Brendan Leonard for reading from his book, The New American Road Trip Mixtape. You can find his blog with a link to buy his book at semirad.com. You can also see Brendan in the short film 35 by Duct Tape and Beer Productions, which he co-wrote and which was an award winner at this year's Banff Mountain Film Festival. The music on this show came from the Exist strategy and was used under the Creative Commons license. I'm Scott Stunts. Thanks for listening.